All right, listeners, we are back again with the Game and Omicron podcast. We are delving into Party First right now, gearing up for the launch of the Twilight War Kickstarter on February 8th. You can find out more about that supplement to Party First at bit.ly slash Twilight War. That'll take you straight to the page, and it's a lot easier to remember. So this time, we've got Brett with us, and uh, he was my co-creator on the core book. Uh, we spent a lot of time in uh, in emails, mainly back and forth on that. So uh, since we need to also introduce people to the core book, I wanted to introduce people to Brett. So What's the uh, the short rundown on your history with tabletop gaming? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been playing tabletop games the majority of my life, especially got at this point in my almost mid-30s. Uh, I started off playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, back when I was maybe 11 or 12, although we weren't really... Which edition? Oh, that would have been third edition, but we weren't really playing Dungeons and Dragons. We mostly just messed around and tried to recreate things that we like characters that we made in the like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale video games. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't really fully get into the tabletop role playing game hobby until high school. Uh, when uh, my my best friends in high school, we played again some Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, along with a couple other D20 games, uh, D20 Modern we played a little bit. There's also a Wheel of Time role-playing game we played a bit of. Nice. Uh, along with things like Vampire the Masquerade, Mage the Awakening, uh, all those old uh, White Wolf games. Uh, stuck with the hobby uh, through Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, which is the best edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I will fight you on that. <laughs> No edition wars right now on this podcast. That's a different oh. episode for sure. <laughs> uh, and then uh, up through fifth edition as well, which obviously is still going on at least today at time of recording. Uh, also, I played a bunch of other games, Smallville uh, being one that I've played a lot of that I love, uh, a lot of different systems. I also did, I was going to say, a brief stint doing design work for the 7th C role-playing game uh, put out by John Wick Presents for the second edition. Yeah, uh, I was hoping you'd hit on that. So yeah. what? Uh, which, which books did you have a little bit of a hand in over there? Uh, I had a hand in every book after Pirate Nations. So after the, so I, uh, the core book, I did a little bit of playtesting on, but no design work. I had nothing to do with Pirate Nations. But then starting with heroes and villains through books that aren't actually even out yet. Uh, so both the Nations of Thea books, Lands of Golden Fire, Crescent Empire, New World, uh, Secret Societies, Land of a Thousand Nations, which is upcoming, as well as the Cities of Faith and Wonder. Uh, and then I also did even a little bit of development for them. Uh, I developed all of the Gen Con adventures that they ran in 2018. Yeah, I was hoping you'd, you'd touch on that. You were my boss for that project, actually. Also, uh, and I did uh, mechanics. I, I did mechanics work almost exclusively. Uh, I did some actual uh, like narrative fiction writing for 
Secret Societies. I wrote the entire chapter for the Norvo, Norvo Otis Mundi, which is the villain Secret Society. Oh, nice. And then I did uh, Mechanics Lead, as opposed to just Mechanics Design, on the Cities of Faith and Wonder book for the Iskander section, in which I think I also was your boss. Oh, snap. You're right. I think you were. I almost forgot about that one. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit on uh, pretty much every side of role-playing games between playing, creating, writing, uh, outside of, like, the actual, like, business aspect of it. Yeah. Well, aside from tabletop games, which I know that's the main focus that our listeners want to hear about, I think there's probably one other aspect of your tabletop career uh, that is worth nodding at, because I've mentioned uh, a few times about myself uh, being a card gamer for a long time, which I believe you were as well. And we have a lot of history together with something in particular. What was that? Uh, well, as far as card games go, I have played a number over the years. Uh, Magic the Gathering, I think pretty much everyone's played. Uh, I was competitive in that for several years uh, in like the regional level. So I would travel from Springfield over into Kansas, up to Chicago, down to like Dallas, along with like the Kansas City, St. Louis scene some. I played the World of Warcraft TCG, uh, which I actually played at my very first Gen Con. I played that competitively in the limited scene. I didn't do uh, constructed in that, at least at that Gen Con. Uh, But then starting in 2009, uh, when I met William, uh, playing the Game of Thrones card game, which was then my primary game, for a number of years, uh, including winning two world championships, once in the Melee, which is the multiplayer format, and then again in the Joust, which is the traditional head-to-head format. Indeed. I I was wondering how long it would take you to get to that. I was afraid you were going to bury the lead, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also, we, uh, we did another podcast together for what probably about four years that you were on the show with me oh sounds about right i was actually thinking about that today we started recording it in 2010 i don't know if it started airing until 2011 though and then through 2013 or 14 yeah i i I wasn't able to remember exactly when i stepped away but somewhere in that in that range some something like that so we've uh we have a lot of history and a good rapport together, I would say. Absolutely. So that made it uh, really easy because we used to um, text at, back and forth and bounce random card ideas off of each other for mm-hmm. or Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And of course, you were in the, the D&D group here that was my first foray into tabletop role-playing games. Yes. Uh, so you were a, a natural fit, I think whenever um, the nugget of the idea of party first struck me uh, one day. So how, how did you react? What, what did you think when I first uh, brought that up to you and said, you know, Hey, can we tinker around with this? So again, something I was thinking about a little bit this morning, doing a little bit of brain prep uh, to record. Uh, The theme is super cool and not, Ter- not terribly overdone as much as a lot of other themes in both mainstream and indie RPGs. Uh, but I was even just thinking about it, like as soon as you sent me the idea for a party skill, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, yeah, there's something here. That's a cool hook. It fits 
perfectly thematically. There's a bunch of design space with with it. So once once we started talking about about that aspect specifically is when I thought we definitely landed on something that we could could make something good out of. And I and honestly, I think that was day one. That might not have been the very first text I sent you, mm-hmm. but I I think that was very close because that that was the first nugget of an idea that I remember uh, having. Yeah. It, yeah, oddly enough, in the shower, thinking <laughs> thinking about it, like, well, wait a minute, what if what if people had to be as bad as everyone else is mm-hmm. at something in the party? Like, mm-hmm. what does that do? And yes. we kind of went from there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was it was certainly very early on. I couldn't say if it was first or second text or email, but very very early in the process, it was kind of like the building building block for everything. Yeah. So we, uh, we went from there and of course with you having, um, some mechanical, uh, experience on the, uh, seventh C side. Um, I mean, we obviously both, uh, talked a lot of ideas back and forth and there's pieces of systems from, from each of us, but you, I would say we're definitely kind of the, the mechanics lead on, uh, the game. So mm-hmm. how, um, how much do you remember about how we wound up in kind of the, uh, like the roll and keep dice pool kind of realm? Ooh. So with that, I, I definitely don't want to underplay your involvement. Uh, I, I mean, I would certainly agree. I was probably the system's lead as you were probably the narrative lead. Uh, but we were both very involved in, on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, as far as the roll and keep, uh, I just, I know I am always, I've always liked the roll and keep system, uh, especially for any time you're building up a die pool, which I think is what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was, if I recall correctly, I think I was leaning in that direction early on uh, by melding a few a few different games, if I recall correctly. Uh, one of them even being uh, like the uh, oh, Arkham Horror Eldritch Horror games, where it's again, you build up a dice pool in a very different way, mm-hmm. but you still use effectively a roll and keep system for doing things. Yeah, you you mentioned some of those other systems. Um, my recollections of kind of where we were at the time, we were kind of hot off of Seven uh, C Second Edition mm-hmm. uh, and doing some things there. And we, I know we both liked the pools of that, but we're not um, not super sold on the D tens. I seem to remember some discussion about what die to use mm-hmm. um, and the availability of the D six being pretty important. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a big piece there. Um, I also feel like we've maybe got some, some influence from the, the world of darkness stuff. Cause I think we had played Hunter not too long before that. Maybe you're going to touch right. a yeah, powered by the Hunter. apocalypse. Uh, well, it was Hunter the Vigil was the official game, but I used kind of a ha- kind of a, a self-made hack from Hunter the Reckoning, which was the the old World of Darkness system for it. Mm. Okay. 
but yeah, definitely we had both been in various ways working pretty heavily in the seventh C system. Uh, I know Will, for example, has a number of like uh, Explorer Society, which is the drive-through RPG store for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then working some on the main line and then me being pretty heavily involved in the main line. Uh, and I definitely wanted to capture the elegance and sim- the, the elegance of simplicity. So not making things super complex. I didn't want it to be a, you know, a, a hard, crunchy simulation system. Uh, I was a big fan of the, the various health pools, both shared and unshared, uh, you know, antagonists are very simple. There are a couple numbers and some additional rules that you can tack on. So just things like that, Try, trying to trying to keep it simple while still being impactful choices. Yeah. And, you know, one of the features that you mentioned um, is one I've thought about um, some and kind of looking back on how we got there about the, the different resource pools. Of course, there's, there's health and sanity individually for the characters, which is pretty straightforward. Most folks are used to that. Um, but we've also got a group morale pool, mm-hmm. uh, which can potentially eliminate everyone, the entire party, if they yep. don't manage that well. Um, but we've also got, I think, one of the other big draws for me when we were first sketching this out was the, the tension pool. And that mm-hmm. idea initially uh, in, in my head was kind of inspired by the classic, um, you know, horror movie trope of someone scrabbling at, at a door, trying to get their keys in the car or whatever to unlock it while the killer's coming after them and how yeah. on any normal day that would not be difficult at all to put your keys in the door and unlock it. But because of circumstances, uh, it suddenly becomes much more difficult uh, than normal. So that that's one of my favorite aspects, but I'm curious when, when you look back now at, at the way these pools interact with each other and generating them and, and party points that can are kind of a meta currency to spend. Like, do you also see some of our card gaming background here in like the resource management and kind of those interlocking cogs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have a hard time just from having a, a relatively ro- relatively robust card game background as I know Will has as well. In any game design work that I do, I can always see aspects of of card games, and I, for a long time, have always said that you know once you know, once you understand card games in general and have a, have a solid understanding and foundation there, you can bounce between card games very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like not to toot my own horn too much, but like I there, there's a re like the first time that I won a world championship in Game of Thrones was in 2010, and I'd been playing the game for less than two years at that point. And I was able to do that because I had, at that point, nearly a a decade of other card game experience that I was able to leverage in. Just so many fundamentals of card games are the same, and they apply in not quite the same way moving to other areas of gaming whether it be role playing or board games but there are a lot of similarities that you can jump back and forth between Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So that with that background and that kind of familiarity, then um, what would you advise people about the the party first system and kind of like the the highlights or what it kind of drives players to to do or how they need to handle it? It is a obviously a cooperative game, but there is a small aspect. Other games might call it PvP. I would probably lean more towards competitiveness uh, in the game, uh, using things like party points, uh, because there are some times when you could potentially do something yourself and make yourself a little better by making somebody else a little worse, Um, Mm. which is a fun aspect that I don't think enough role-playing games take advantage of. Uh, It's definitely something where you need to know your table and make sure everybody's on the same page, but I I advocate for that in any role-playing game. Uh, Just because you're doing something that might make another player a little worse doesn't make you a bad person as long as everyone knows what's going on and everyone is signed on to that social contract in in some ways it's kind of like a, a built-in um devil's bargain type of thing like uh, other systems like say blades in the dark or, yes. or trophy or something does mm-hmm. it's not uh as um open-ended in a like narrative prompt sort of way like right where those games ask you Mm -hmm. to choose oh hey what's this bad thing that could happen in order to get your bonus die or whatever um but the the core idea of uh the player having to choose oh i can get this extra benefit i can do something more but at what cost and and having to weigh that is very similar yeah well, I know we're getting close to uh, our time here for this episode. Is there any other kind of parting thoughts on Party First that you want to leave folks with? Um, I would just say, again not, again, not to maybe toot my own horn too much. It's a very unique game mechanically and narratively. Uh, that if you're at all interested in role-playing games in general, give it a check out. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a perfect game. I'm sure I could look back and think of a dozen things that I could have tweaked or done differently mm-hmm. or done just straight up better even. Uh, but there's definitely a lot that you can look at to gain, even if you don't ever run a game of Party First. If you run any kind of horror game, any kind of game where there's a you know a high stress level involved, uh, there's certainly plenty that you can get. Well, cool, uh, Brett. Thank you for jumping on and joining me here. Maybe we'll bring you back sometime down the road uh, once we've maybe put together some some notes. Maybe we'll we'll dive back into some very old emails and see if we can glean some some real juicy design tidbits. But uh, thank you again. Yeah, of course. Happy to be on. 